Amen. But glad to hear you all are ready for the Word of God. If you have your Bible, would you open it up to John 10.10 and please remain standing. This is the text from which our new series, Get Your Life Back, is going to be based on. It's one of the most famous texts in the Bible. And it says this, John 10.10, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. From this text, I want to begin our series by talking to you about the God kind of life. The life Jesus came to give every one of you, and the life that I believe that all mankind is truly searching for, the God kind of life. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to us in the next few moments powerfully, poignantly, Would you speak deep to every heart? Would you help us to understand and for you to be revealed in a greater way to each one of our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. So I want to begin by just kind of asking you a basic question. You don't have to shout out the answer. If you know it, maybe you don't. The question is, why did Jesus come? A lot of people think to found a church, to improve humanity, to give us a code of moral conduct. And that really isn't any of the reasons why Jesus came. Jesus tells us emphatically in this text that he came so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Now, even if you don't know what that really means, it sounds pretty good. It sounds good enough to say, amen, I I like that. I want some abundant life. And the word life here is the Greek word zoe. And to be sure, there are four words that are translated life in the Greek And those four words are this, suke, which means natural or human life. Bios, which means manner of life. Uh, Anastrophe, which means confused behavior. And that clearly describes the life of many people, doesn't it? Confused behavior. But then there is zoe, and this literally means the God kind of life. It describes, if you get into the detail of it, eternal life, but specifically it describes the removal of our sin nature and the impartation of God's very own nature on the inside of us that is given to us only when we are born again. And scripture says, when this happens, we become new creations in Christ. Our nature is changed from the sin nature to the nature of God. We verily, very literally get the God kind of life living on the inside of us. God imparts his nature to us. And so listen to how some of the translations translate this verse. They all keep The first part of it, the same. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. Other versions, like the contemporary English Bible says, I came so that they can have life, indeed, so they can live life to the fullest. The the English revised version says, but I came to give life, life that is full and good. The NLT says, a rich and satisfying life. Philip says, far more life than before. The message says, real and eternal life. More and better life than they've ever dreamed of. The revised NIV says, life in the fullest possible way. And listen to the Amplified. It says, I came that they might have life and enjoy life. How many of you are glad God wants you to enjoy life? 
A lot of Christians don't think that. A lot of Christians think God wants you to be miserable. Look at some Christians. They look like we used to say that they've been baptized in lemon juice. Anybody remember that from back in the day? Because they have bitter faces on all the time. How many of you are glad? Listen, you got the joy of God on the inside of you. You got Zoe on the inside of you. He said, I came that you might have and enjoy life, have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, some people think that sitting on the beach and sailing and eating scrumptious foods at wonderful restaurants is life. That's the good life. I want that life. But sign me up for Zoe life, the God kind of life, real and eternal life, abundant life, life where I receive the nature of God on the inside of me so much so that it changes me and overflows into every other area of life. That's what Jesus said he came to give you. Now, I want to elaborate on those last two points. Zoe life changes us, and it overflows into every other area of life. When we get born again, we are different people, and others should be able to tell. When we get born again, we're different, and others should be able to tell. I remember years ago, I ran into some high school Friends, I was a young pastor, just, just starting out in ministry. I was 23. We kind of all ran into each other. I don't remember what it was for. Maybe I was just back in my old neighborhood because my mother still lives there. And we ran into a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, everybody starts asking each other, so what are you doing? And what are you doing? And what are you doing? And, and this one is like, you know, I'm a scientist. And this one's like, I'm a lawyer. And this one's like, I'm a doctor. And this one's like, I'm this, I'm that. And what do you, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And the look of shock dropped over all their faces. You should have seen it. And one of them went and said, no, no way. said, if there was a category in the high school yearbook, you all remember them categories, most likely to succeed, best looking, this, that, the other thing, you know, most likely to be president. They said, if there was a category in high school, most likely to not be pastor, you would have won hands down. But see, I'm not who I used to be. I'm changed because the life of God is on the inside of me. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Old behaviors, old language, old likes, old bad habits, old bad company, old ways of thinking, old motives, old ambitions. Old things have passed away, and I've become new because there's Zoe on the inside of me. The life and the nature of God. And now when people see me, they ought to see that I'm like my heavenly father. That's what it means to be born again. Zoe changes us so that what happened on the inside of us shows up on the outside of us. We used to sing a song way back in the day, something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. My question for you is, can people tell? Can people tell? If, if you, if you get saved and nobody knows anything different about you, I, I'm just kind of wondering. I'm not judging or nothing like that because that's between you and God. The only thing that we are not called to, to judge is somebody's salvation, although we are called to examine the fruit. Right? You'll know them by their fruit. If somebody can't tell, I'm just wondering, was it genuine? Zoe changes us so that the life and light of Christ is clearly seen from within us, right? Matter of fact, look at the verse again. Look at what Jesus said. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And the word have in the original language is the Greek word echo. 
And so it is a perfect apt description of what should happen when you get born again, when Zoe, when the life of God gets on the inside of you, you ought to echo the life of Jesus. Don't be an echo of somebody else. Don't be an echo of another person because God made you as a masterpiece, a one-of-a-kind original. Be who own who God made you to be. But if you are going to echo anyone, you should echo the life of Christ. Matter of fact, let that light shine so bright that people can't help but see something different about you. I wish you all would have known me before I was saved. Every other word out of my mouth was the F word. I cursed. I, I thought it was just an adjective. Cursed like crazy. The likes that I had was just, it was just, it, I look back and said, how could that be? How could that be? Can I be honest with you, real honest with you? You know, I've been out of, out of preaching for like seven weeks. So the other day I was hanging out with one of my friends who ain't saved, and, and, I, and I said a curse word by accident. And literally as he came out, I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I felt so embarrassed. I felt so embarrassed by it. Because that ain't me no more. We see, we, we're changed, we're different. The life of God ought to be, ought to be evident from our life. Zoe changes us, but also it overflows into every other area of our lives. To be sure, the Zoe life is the spiritual and eternal life that God came to give us that we have in Christ Jesus. But that spiritual and eternal life, if it is the real McCoy, flows over into every other part of our life. It ought to touch our health, our countenance, our joy, our peace, our relationships, our business, our walk, our talk, our finances, our family. It ought to overflow into everything else if it's genuine. Matter of fact, you remember what David said in, in Psalm 23? We only preached the first two verses of that. Someday I'm going to come back and, and kind of redo that because there's, there's, there's more than just two verses in there. He said this. He said, my cup overflows. What was he talking about? When God put his life in me, what happened is it can't be contained on the inside. It overflows onto everything on the outside. It's not really me. It's what God put in me. And when God puts himself in you, it's impossible to contain God. He overflows into everything. And if you look at every scripture that talks about our blessing in the Bible, it is an inward that affects the outward. So 3 John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. That's the outward. Even as your soul prospers, that's the inward. See, too many saints trying to get the outward stuff to happen. Listen to me. Get the inward stuff right, and the outward stuff will be an overflow of the inward stuff. It'll spill over. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, inward stuff. Right? Where do I seek God? In my heart. With all my heart, I will seek you, David said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things, outward stuff, will be added to you. Overflow. I like what Psalm 65 verse 11 says. You crown the year with your goodness. Your ways overflow to plenty. Overflow touches everything. This is why D David said, my cup runs over. This is why Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and enjoy it, having an abundance to the full till it overflows. I don't know about you. That's the kind of life 
everybody's looking for. See, because there's a lot of people that, you know, you think that they're just looking for, you know, what I described before, getting on a beach and going on a boat and having a big house. And there's a lot of people on beaches and boats and fine restaurants and big houses that are empty on the inside. Because they don't have Zoe. See, the blessing of the Lord, the scripture says, makes one rich and adds no sorrow. There is fulfilled the greatest gift that you can ever have in your life. More than anything else is that absolute fulfillment on the inside. That only comes when God imparts his life, his nature on the inside of you. And so here's the question. How do we get that kind of life? How do we, for those of us that have made Jesus the Lord of our life, how do we walk in that kind of life? Because if, if we want to really tell the truth, a lot of Christians possess it but don't walk in it. They have it on the inside, but it, it, you can't see it on the outside. I don't, listen, I understand why people are sad for seasons. I get that. We all have sad things that happen in our lives, right? But for the life of me, I cannot wrap my brain around Christians who are chronically sad. I don't understand how that, how is that even a possibility, right? Why? What does the scripture say? In his presence is fullness of joy, right? And when we get God's life on the inside of us, we get God's nature on the inside of us. We have a hope that the world doesn't, doesn't have. We have an outlook that the world doesn't have. And so our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. And so even though there are things that affect us externally, the truth of the matter is we ought to have the life of God affecting that thing eventually. I, I was with a friend who just lost his mother. They, she was in the hospital, and uh, everything was going good. She took a turn for the worse. He, he called me up. He's one of my best friends. He's a, he's a, he's a dear brother in the Lord, and uh, he called me up. He told me, and, and you know, we, we cried together, and we prayed together. And uh, I said, bro, I said, you know, I'm, I'm coming over. We'll hang out a little bit, and, and so on and so forth. And he said, he said this to me. He said, I told all my brothers and sisters he said, we'll get through this, and there's no way we'll ever give up on God. Huh? That's, that's Zoe. See, see when, when, when your life gets totally shipwrecked to the place that you just abandon God because of circumstances, you're not walking in Zoe, which is supposed to overflow and affect every area of your life. How do you walk in Zoe? I want to give you one key, and then I'll break it down just a little bit. It's found in the text here. I had five originally, and I was going to do them all in this message, but it would have been like a four-hour message, so I'm going to give you one key, okay? The first key, I think it's one of the most important keys. I'm coming out with a new book in a, in a month or so. It's called Good, Good Father. It is what this, this is the key it's based on, okay? Key number one to walk in Zoe, live by Jesus theology. You know, we talk about theology all the time. Whose theology do you follow? You know, in the Bible, well, I follow Apollos, and I, and I follow Paul, and, and you know, but that's, that's, why are we following the theology of people? Why don't we follow the theology of Jesus? What did Jesus say we ought to believe, right? And he tells us this right in this text, and it is the key to walking in the God kind of life. John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief 
does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What was Jesus' theology? Anything that steals, kills, or destroys is from the devil. And anything that gives Zoe life, the God kind of life, is from Jesus. I didn't say that. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. It's not my theology. It's not word of faith theology. It is the theology of the man who wrote the book. He said it. Let me read it again. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. See, what he's trying to say, or let me, is this. We used to say it this way. God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. God good, devil bad. God good, devil bad. That's Jesus' theology in a nutshell. If you read the Bible, it is expressive about the goodness of God. It tells us, first of all, that God is good. Psalm 136, number one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. It tells us that God only creates good. You open the book of Genesis, you read it, and here's what you find out. In the beginning, God created this, and God created that. And And what did God say at the end of every day? It was what? Good. He opens the book. And he tells us, first thing I want you to grasp in your mind is that I am a good, benevolent, caring, loving, heavenly father. I only create good. Then he says this in the New Testament, you come along. He says, I want you to know something. I only give good. James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He only gives good. And then Psalm 119, verse 68, these are just a few of the scriptures that teach these principles. It says God only does good. You are good and you do what is good. And here's the part I love about it. And God wants us to have good things. Look at it with me. Psalm 84, verse number 11. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what's right. Doesn't it make you want to do what's right? I said, doesn't it make you want to do what's right? Walk in. See, this is why Zoe is an overflow. Because it's hard to want to do what's right, but God changed our want to. The reason why people can't do what's right is because their want to hasn't been changed. But God changed your want to. How? He put his nature on the inside of you. And so that's why every time you do something that's against your neighbor, what do you feel? Conviction. Because your want to has been changed. Don't ever worry unless you don't feel conviction anymore. If you don't feel conviction anymore, start worrying. Get on your knees. Come to the foot of the cross again. Because your want to has been seared. God changes that for us. And this is so important that we see Jesus and understand Jesus' theology. That anything that comes to steal, kill, or destroy is from the enemy. And anything that produces or gives life, Zoe, that overflows into every other area of life is from the Lord. Why? Because how you see God determines what you will receive from God. It's a fact. Not my fact. The Bible's fact. Hebrew, Hebrews 11.6. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, must believe that he exists, first of all, right? Kind of foolish to go to somebody if you don't believe believe that they exist, right? Must believe that he is. 
I believe that's not only he exists, but that he's God. That he is. He's God. Right? Believe that he's God. Watch this. And, and of all the things, and that he is a what? Rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, it doesn't say he that comes to God can sometimes believe this. It says must, must, must. Why? Because how we see God affects what we receive from God. And so what Jesus does is Jesus says, I want to make this real clear. I want you to know this is the theology that you ought to live your life by. It is a line in the sand. Nowadays, there's no lines in the sand anymore. Don't you hate that? Everything is your truth and their truth and this truth and blurred lines. And this, I'm glad that God don't do none of that. God's going, here's a line in the sand. He goes, he goes, devil bad, me good. He said, that's it, line in the sand. He said, hey, we, we got nothing in common. Don't dare get it twisted. Don't dare believe that he and I are alike in any other way. We are juxtaposed to one another. And the devil knows that this theology is so important to us walking in Zoe because he knows that how we see God affects what we receive from God. And so you know what he does? He does what he does, and then he points the finger at God. He does what he does. And then he goes, then he goes like this. He goes, he did it. It's his fault. Well, here's the good one. He allowed it. Have you ever heard that one before? He, he allowed it. 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 By the way, can I just, just say law on this, on this thought? If I give somebody permission to take something from me, are they a thief? If I come to you and say, here, go ahead and take it. And you take it, could you be a thief? So where is this God allowed it? God allowed it. Because then Satan's not a thief. If he's getting permission, he can't be a thief. Right? See, we, we've got to understand, and, and here's why those nuances are true and, and so important to believe. Because if we don't get these things, it'll mess with your brain. It'll screw up your faith. It'll get you mad at the wrong person when stuff goes down. Instead of getting you mad, how many of you know that anger is one of the most powerful weapons? If it's harnessed the right way. You know, great athletes, they have the eye of the tiger. Did you see when the Cowboys went ahead? 29-28 with a minute 18 left. Did you all see? They, they, they put a, the camera on Tom Brady. Did you see that? He was like this. I said, oh, no. As they gave the man a minute 18 left on the clock. They gave a man with the eye of the tiger a minute 18. You know what he said? He said, I'm going to focus this anger. Here's what I've learned. Get angry at the right person. You know what it does? It deepens your faith instead of hurts your faith. Oh, no. Devil, you mess with the wrong dude this time. You touched the wrong family. You messed with the wrong stuff. You should have picked on somebody else because this ain't going to be an easy fight. I'm not going to give up right here. I'm going to not stop moving forward for God. I'm going to go harder than ever before. All you did was motivate me. Now it's not just me, myself, and I. Now I'm taking as many people to heaven as I possibly can. You messed with the wrong person. But see, if you don't have the right theology, you just... 
sink back. Oh, what's the use? Oh, I guess same thing goes for us as anybody else. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. And then he elaborates because he's not content. Matter of fact, the whole John chapter 10, the whole first 15 verses or so is all about this theology. It's a comparison between the shepherd, the great shepherd, and the great thief. And, and here's what Jesus says. The first thing he says, number one, is Satan steals, but I, Jesus, shepherd. Look at it with me, John chapter 10, verse number one. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Notice, he tells us clearly, just like in our opening text, John 10, 10, that Satan is a thief and a robber. And a thief and a robber, what do they do? They steal stuff. And the distinction between a thief and a robber tells us how Satan steals, kills, and destroys. A thief uses deception, and a robber uses force. That's the distinction between the two. And so here's what the enemy does. He deceives us first, and the way that he deceives us is by getting us to do stuff that is against our nature. Right? Because we have the nature of God on the inside of us. So anytime that a Christian does something that is against the nature of God, they're walking in deception. They've been deceived for that particular moment. And the way that he deceives us is he promises pleasure and guises pain. It's like, it's like, this is completely okay. Don't worry about it. It'll make you feel good. It'll make you think good. It'll, 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 it'll just do everything that you want it to do. And it's, there's, there's no talk or inkling of the pain. And then after we've been deceived and we give in to the pleasure, then he comes along and he destroys by force. Then he lets us have it. Bam! That wasn't as fun as I thought. Wow! I didn't expect for that to happen. I didn't think my life was going to be ruined from that. Bam. Because after the pleasure that is deceptive pleasure comes pain, right? And, and here's the thing. If you look at it, it happens. It happens. He blinds people who are God's people. Come on, David and Bathsheba. Come on, the prodigal. Come on, Samson and Delilah. He leads with pleasure, then plunders with pains. But then there is Jesus, the good shepherd. He doesn't deceive or destroy, just the opposite. He leads with price and then tells us promise. That's the difference between Jesus doesn't lead with fine print. He just he doesn't hide the upfront, right? Matthew 10, 39, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? What's he doing? He's saying, I'm not trying to hide from y'all. I'm not trying to tell you all there's, there's no cost. I just, by the way, you're going to have to pick up your cross daily in order to follow me, right? You're going to have to be my disciple. Do you know what disciple means? It means disciplined one. How many of you know discipline ain't easy, right? I, I just got to be honest. I'm just telling myself, I mean, I tried to be disciplined on vacation and eat good. I couldn't do it. Discipline is hard. 
It ain't easy. And Jesus, he comes right up front with that stuff. He tells us what the pain is on the front end, but then he gives us the promise on the back end. He tells us, in essence, the pain will be worth the gain. The enemy comes along, and he tells us there is no pain. There is only pleasure. And what Jesus is doing is he's he's drawing a distinction between the two. And and this is why, notice he says, the thief doesn't come to the door. tries to find some other way. By the way, sheep pens had a door. And then they had stone wall, and on top of the stone wall, there was like kind of like barbed wire type of stuff. Is it, the thief doesn't come through the door. He tries to find another way in. This is why the scripture says don't give him a place. Because he looks for a crack. He looks for a crease. He looks for an open window. Give him no place. But the good shepherd, you know what he does? He sleeps at the entrance of the door. He gets between the wolf and the sheep. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to show you this in just a minute. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't get this twisted. He said, don't, don't, don't get confused. Satan steals. I shepherd. But number two, he pushes it further. Jesus is like, I'm going to make sure y'all got this. And the only way you're going to unget this is if you go to a good theologian who's going to talk about all the stuff that they've been through in their life and use that as the basis for their theology. The basis of theology is what? The word of God. I can find a hundred different people who had a hundred different experiences. And experience doesn't make something the Word of God or not the Word of God. The Word of God is given to us in order to change our experiences. And yes, God does speak to us through our experiences, but we never base our theology on our experiences. Are you with me? You all okay? All right. Number two, he says, Satan runs away, but I, Jesus, stand in the way. Look at it with me. John chapter 10, verse number 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Jesus compares Satan to a hireling. What does this mean? It means after he lures us away, he leaves us to be destroyed at the mercy of the wolves. Right? Satan gives us the bait and then hooks us and pulls us out of the water where we find ourselves needing oxygen. He, he, He tries to trick us. He tries to get in through that crack. He, he, he tries to uh, hold up the shiny stuff. And then what he does is he leaves us in that situation at the mercy of the wolves. He runs away from our life after he destroys our life. And he sits there going, ha, 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 He runs away. But watch this. But Jesus stands in the way. Do you know in Bible times, the shepherd would actually sleep at the entrance to the sheep pen. Why? To put himself between any enemies that might come in and the sheep. In other words, I'm not going to just leave the sheep exposed. I am going to get myself in the way, which, by the way, is why Jesus tells us the sheep goes in the other way, right? He's looking for that crack, but the 
good shepherd gets in the way. The enemy wants to take you out. The enemy wants to destroy your faith. The enemy wants to ruin your life. But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, so I will stand in the way. I will get in the way. I will not make it easy. I will try to, to, to do everything I can. I say try not because he can't, but because we have to cooperate with him. He, he gets in the way. And it always provides that way of escape. And I'm reminded of that scripture in the Old Testament where the children of Israel were fleeing Egypt. And Pharaoh said, go ahead and go. Right? And then he changed his mind. He said, now nah, we got to get him back. Sent the whole army after them. Children of Israel marching toward the promised land. God sent them the long way, the Bible says, instead of the short way. And sometimes we wonder why does God send us the long way instead of the short way? Because God knew if they went the long way, they would be out in open field and the enemy that was going to come after them would have them and they would have nowhere to go. And so God sent them instead of the short way, he sends them the long way by way of the Red Sea and they get close to the Red Sea and now they find that the enemy's army is coming on them. They're coming in for the kill and the whole time that they were being led into the promised land, God was leading them with a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. They could see God in front of them. Then in Exodus chapter 14, verse number 19, it says, the angel of God who went before the camp moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. Somebody said, well, pastor, why was it that when everything got rough, it seemed like I couldn't see God anymore? seemed like everything was going good. God was leading me. God, but all of a sudden, it seemed like God disappeared. You know what God told me to tell you? He just moved. I said, where did he move to? Didn't move out of your life before he was in front of you because the enemy wasn't close enough to get you. But when the enemy came in for the kill, since he's the good shepherd, he said, let me reposition myself. And he put himself in between you and the enemy. I came here to tell somebody, God likes standing in the way. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. I know about you, but I'm glad God stood in the way of so many things in my, I, in my life. What is Jesus' theology? Don't get it twisted. He's saying, I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't destroy. I'm on the side of giving you life. Zoe. And the greatest example of God getting in the way of everything that the enemy meant to do to us is this thing we called the cross. Do you know why Jesus went to the cross? Because he's the good shepherd. And he said the enemy wants to send him off into eternity lost forever. The enemy wants him to go to the hell that was created for him. The enemy wants him to die in their sin. And I can't let that enemy attack work. So guess what I'm going to do? I am going to get in between them and the enemy. And I'm going to take upon me everything that they deserve. Aren't you glad that Jesus stood in the way? Stood in the way of the hell you deserve. Stood in the way of the sin and punishment that you deserve. Stood in the way. Was he telling us, don't, don't confuse me. Don't, don't think I am who the enemy is. The enemy is always trying to point the finger at God. Adam and Eve, they were content not eating with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, weren't they? They didn't even think about it. They're like, oh, I got this tree right here. This is delicious. I got this tree right here that's delicious. Look at all these trees. It would have taken them days to eat of all them trees. 
Satan comes along. He said, why ain't you eating of that one? They said, well, God told us not to. What does Satan say? Only reason why God told you not to? It's because God knows that in the day that you do it, you'll be like him. What's he doing? Pointing the finger at God. Pointing the finger at God. Trying to get him twisted. Twisted into thinking that the good, good father who created, it's amazing. They were living in a paradise. My God. Living in a perfect environment. Had everything. Didn't have to worry about nothing. The best of the best of the best of the best of the best. And guess who made it for him? God made it for him. It's amazing with all of the blessings that God has given us. Whether you're in a good season of life or in a bad season of life. Every single person has been blessed beyond what you could ever ask for. You got shoes. You got clothes. You got food. You got a car. You got something over your head. And in the midst of all them blessings. Satan comes along and says, God did it. Jesus is saying, come on. Come on, what you doing? Don't get it twisted. Look at the cross. You want to experience Zoe, the God kind of life. Then you have to live Jesus' theology. God good, devil bad. I'm almost out of time. I want to give you one more thought. The last thing that Jesus teaches us in this text, and I want you to encourage you to go home and, and read the whole thing, John chapter number 10. By the way, one verse of Scripture a week is not going to cut it. If you only, only Bible you get is when you come to church, you're going to get it twisted. Right? Third thing Jesus says is Satan ruins, but I, Jesus, restore. How many of you know that sometimes the wolf comes in and deception works. Can anybody be honest? Sometimes the deception works. Sometimes we take it, right? How many of us, sometimes we take the bait, we wind up stranded and in a mess. Matter of fact, the wolf specializes or specifically tries to cause the sheep to scatter or run in all different directions in an effort to get one of the sheep by itself. Matter of fact, if you read the text, again, we read it, the wolf comes in, it says it scatters the sheep. Satan's game is to get the sheep scattered. And, and I want to talk to you just for a moment, call, call a pause. Let me tell you how he did this present day right now. COVID. You know what COVID has done to most churches? Scattered the sheep. And, and, and let me preface this by saying, thank God for online, right? It's needed for people who, who can't make it for legitimate reasons. But you know what it's become? It's become the default mechanism for a scattered sheep. It's, be called the la- it's, it's the, now the lazy, convenient way to feel good religiously about yourself. Well, did you go to church? Yeah, I watched online. Meanwhile, half the message you know you didn't hear because you got up, you got your juice, you got your coffee, you know, you did all that kind of jazz. The phone rang, you talked to this one, talked to that one, right? But even beyond it, even if you sat and listened to the whole thing, it's still not what God said to do, right? God said, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And by the way, if all you do is watch online, who are you inviting to church? What example are you setting for your kids? 
Where are you serving? See, and so COVID has become the mechanism for a scattered body, a scattered church right now. And, and, and I know some of you are looking at me in that tone of voice, especially those of you on the other side of that camera right now. But scattered sheep are the, it's the plan of the enemy. Because what he does is he scatters the sheep to get some by themselves because when you're part of the pack, you're resilient to attack. But when you stand alone, you're susceptible. And this is why the scripture says, what does Jesus do? He leaves the 90 and 9 and goes after the 1. Why? It's not because he loves the 99 less than he loves the 1, but the 99 are part of the pack, and there is safety in the pack, and he knows that the 1 who's out there by themselves has been scattered and needs the safety of the shepherd. And so what does he do? He doesn't go to the 1 and say, just wanted to check on you. You cool you watch it online good no he takes it and he brings it back to the fold next week we call everybody back to the fold why because because when we're alone we're vulnerable right scattered sheep are the most susceptible I said all that to say this Sometimes the devices of the devil work. Sometimes we take the bait. Sometimes we wander off. We find our lives in ruins. doesn't happen right away because Satan is sneaky. At first it's all good, but then it's not. We find ourselves in a mess. And listen to what Jesus is saying now. Jen, I'm a shepherd. Satan is not. He comes in to scatter, but I'm a shepherd. So what do I do? I restore. I go after. Why? What did David say? Psalm 23, verse number 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. Satan ruins, I restore. Now let me give you the picture of this and then I'll be done. I really didn't think this message was going to be this long because that's like only one point. But anyway. This restoration of sheep literally describes the picture of a sheep that wanders off and becomes what's called cast. A cast sheep. And what a cast sheep is, is a sheep that has rolled over on its back and can't get right side up again. And if you've ever seen a cast sheep, it's the craziest sight in the world because the cast sheep is struggling the whole time, flailing with its legs up in the air and just bleating away because it can't get back on its side. And and the funny thing about it is if they stay like that, they will die. They will die if they stay like that for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is that they become easy pickings for the enemy. And so they need the shepherd to show up. How many of you are glad that the shepherd shows up even when we wander off? How many of you are glad that he shows up just in time sometimes? Jesus says, Satan ruins, I restore. Now, there's a couple of reasons why sheep become cast. Number one is because they look for comfortable depressions in the ground because they're cooler. And so they go to these comfortable places and they lay down. Then they try to roll over on a side to rest and gravity takes over. And, and because they're looking for the 
comfortable place. And then when the gravity takes over, gases begin to build up on the inside of them. And if they stay in that position, they actually just cut off all their blood circulation and they die like that. This is what God is saying. Say, Pastor, why, why, do, why do you have to talk to the online people and tell them what's up? Because they're rolled on their side right now. Maybe, maybe y'all don't love them enough to tell them they got to get back up on their feet, right? And again, I want to preface this by saying they're legitimate people who have real issues, and that's why we have online. But laziness is not one of them. Convenience is not one of them. Because when you roll over on your side like that, you're a cast sheep. And there's another reason why sheep become cast, is the real fat ones who have a lot of wool. They become cast because they got so much wool that the gravity, they, they, they just can't get back up again. They just can't move it over, you know, like that kind of stuff. And so their wool gets all matted down and ticks get on the inside of it and so on and so forth. And what is this? This is, this is Christians who are flirting with too much of the world. This is, this is Christians that go back to that old life. And they try to like have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. They're, they're, they're Christians that are full of wool, full of the old world. And they're cast and they don't even know it. They think it's the good life and they don't even know it. And some of them may even live their whole life and find out that it wasn't the right life until they're on their deathbed. And so they become cast. And they start to bleat and cry for help. How many of you are grateful? That even in our backslidden states, how many of you are grateful, even in our wandered off states, that we could bleat and cry for help? It's called prayer. What does he say? Call on to me and I will answer you. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace and you will find grace and mercy to help in time of need. How many of you are glad that we can bleat and God still comes running? And then the shepherd gets there. And what I love about the shepherd is when he gets there, you would think he'd reprimand the sheep. Right? Anybody ever have a child wander off? Anybody ever have a child wander off? Not just like leave for a minute, or but wander off. And, you know, you want to, the whole time you're like panicking, panicking, panicking. Where's that child at? Where's that child at? Where's that child at? And then you see the child, right? And what's the first thing you do? You don't scold them. You're just happy that they're safe. You would think that there would be, you know, a reprimand, but, but literally here's what the shepherd does. First thing it does is it rolls the sheep off its side to relieve the gases. Somebody said, I got to do that to my husband all the time. I'll just play, just play. And then after it does that, it stands the sheep up, but now the sheep's legs are all wobbly. It can't walk. And so very literally what the shepherd does is it straddles the sheep and holds the sheep and walks with the sheep until the sheep get its footing back again. It's sort of like when you teach your child how to walk for the first time. You know, what do you do? You hold their hands a little bit while they're they're taking their little steps, right? And then after you see that they got their foot in just a little bit, you let go, but you stay there the whole time until you realize that they could motor on their own without falling over. What is God doing? God is saying, when I come, what I do is I help you to get your feet back on solid rock again. What does he do? He's restoring us. David talks about it. Listen to the analogy. Listen to the, the poetry in David's writings. Psalm 56, verse number one. 
for you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, oh God, in your life-giving light. That's what God does. He steadies our feet. Restoration is God's specialty. Just like when you restore an old car. What happens when you restore an old car? You know, you could buy a car, let's say, years ago, a Thunderbird, I don't know, was about 2000 bucks, right? L1, maybe even less than that. And you get an old, raggedy old Thunderbird, right? And you restore that thing present day. And after you restore that t- thing present day, is it worth 2000 bucks anymore? No, it's worth more than it was when it was originally bought. What is God saying? God is saying that restoration is my specialty. And I won't just restore you to where you were before. I will restore you to better than you ever were. Because now you're humble. Now your heart is open to him. Now you listen quickly. Now you rely on him. Now you aren't susceptible to deception because you see behind the pleasure. What is God saying? I am a restorer. And all throughout the Bible, God promises, I will restore to you your health. I will restore a crushed spirit in you. I will restore to you the years the locust and the canker worm have eaten. Don't get it twisted, Jesus is saying. Live my theology. My theology is the devil's on the side of death. I'm on the side of life. The devil's on the side of stealing. I'm on the side of giving. The devil's on the side of destroying. I'm on the side of restoration. What does the song say? He picked me up, turned me around. Put my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank God. Come on. Let's sing it.